0: What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America, NA, member FDSE.
1: Good morning, everyone, and welcome to the latest edition of the Football Digest. And it's been another eventful week, especially in the Premier League, which has seen the top spot passed around like a hot potato. I think we had three different leaders of the Premier League last night a few hours. So crazy as ever. Uh, But Liverpool have not had that pleasure, unfortunately. They have dropped down to fourth. So what is going on with the champions and Jurgen Klopp? And what about Frank Lampard at Chelsea? Five defeats in eight games has piled immense pressure on the Blues legend. So is he close to getting the sack? Or Will Roman Abramovich give him more time? And What about Dean Smith last night's rage at Man City after a controversial win for Pep Guardiola's men as they charge on? Are they the title favourites now? Many people think they are. And there's another contra- um, another bumper weekend of FA Cup action, Crossy. You'll be pleased to. Uh, hey,
2: I love the FA Cup. So
1: we'll discuss that later in the program. So welcome, guys. Morning. Thanks for joining us. We must start with Frank and Chelsea and the situation there. Andy, um, do you think Lampard's close to getting the sack? If you were Roman Abramovich, would you would you sack him or would you would you give him more time?
3: Um, if I was Roman Abramovich, no, I wouldn't sack him um, personally um, right now. Is he going to get the sack? I think the mood music is um very, very familiar to all our ears, isn't it? That you know, now it seems to have changed slightly, even in Frank's most staunch um, supporters um in the media are 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 basically running with the story that Frank has a couple more games really to 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 turn things round. But the top four finish is is um is essential. So it, you just sense that just beginning to to alter the vibes coming out. As I say, we've heard these vibes. i sorry, we, we felt these vibes and heard this music. Um, I would suggest probably a minimum of 10 times, probably more 10, 11 times since Roman Bromwich took ownership of the club. So it's all too familiar. And from my point of view, you know, I think, and I've been the first to point out that that, that Lampard in his, in his brief time as manager has been, um, has been, Overly praised, overly acclaimed. Um, you know, he, he wasn't the it wasn't the miracle that people seem to suggest it was last season they got into the Champions League. It wasn't an absolutely world-beating job at Derby. And it wasn't the sensational start of the season that, that everyone seemed to paint he it did, out. He did I, get
1: into an FA Cup final, didn't
3: he? I mean, he? He did get into an FA Cup final, absolutely, absolutely sure. You know, the, the, the season before, you know, he also managed to um, concede a... Basically, a record number of goals, fifty odd goals, scraped into a Champions League place, and has conceded goals again this season. You, you know his record uh, as a Chelsea manager is pro- under Abramovich is probably well, it's worse than Andre Villas Boas' record. You know it's, it's down there. Yeah, you know, listen, I've been the first to point that out. But what I'm coming around to say is that <laughs> for me, it, it, it is that if you can't if you can't give someone like Frank Lampard a little bit more time at Chelsea, then 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 who can you give it to i mean really you, you are talking about one of the greatest ever players a, a, a player who has this an ex player who has this club very much at heart surely surely you can give him a full season a second full season in the same way that manchester united have given solskjaer these two years surely is it what's the worst thing that can happen you don't qualify for the champions league for, for a year well you know that that you know it, it's on the be all and the end all you know, Liverpool have shown that over the last few seasons. Um, I would say, if I was the owner, I would say to him, "Listen, you've got to, you you have got until the end of the season. You know, so you don't need to look like you look under so much pressure. I've never seen a manager look as under much pressure as Frank does. I would give him a bit of time. You know, I find it I find it hilarious some of the things that are coming out. Uh, we might, you know, about this idea that they might um, look for a German manager because you know a couple of their high profile signings aren't hitting the mark." are Germans. Well, I mean, I mean, what was their first clue that they were German when they signed them? You know, I mean, it's, it's just, it's, it's it's silly. And I just think he deserves a little bit more time for basically, and yes, it's probably a, a, an element of sentiment to it, but for what he's been to that club and what he means to that club, you, can you imagine sacking sack Frank Lampard in the next couple of weeks and that's it then. That's him and Chelsea, you know, a relationship that, you know, was just, you know, sensational and, and, and soured. So, so personally, in answer to your question, is Is he under pressure? Is he on the verge of being sacked? I suspect that if he doesn't turn things around very quickly, then he will. Um, do I think he should stay? Yes, I do. I think he should be given till the end of the season.
1: John, Dunny touched on it. He's obviously got legendary status at Chelsea because he had a, an amazing career. Will that afford him more time when it comes to Abramovich comes to him what to do? And if so, is that privilege right? Should he does he does should he earn that extra time because of what he's achieved as a player?
2: Do you know what, Jeremy? I think it probably earns him more time it should do with the fans. Just because I think that basically fans love a story, I think, about a club legend. Then coming back, it's the end of the fairy tale, really. It's about, you know, what you achieved as a player. Solskjaer, you know, at, at United, That that's what they want to see. Let's see if that can happen. You know, Mikel Arteta, for a lesser extent, to Arsenal perhaps, you know, Lampard is an absolute god as a player at Chelsea. Yeah. And yet, funny enough, you only have to look on social media. And and listen, um, I'm not always one for, you know, just taking the barometer from social media because I think the match-going fan is, is a better guide. But at the moment, we don't have that. And I do think out there, as a result, you know, possibly... Um, I, I, I do think we, we're into kind of, you know, shark infested waters for him really because the mm. supporter base, the fan base is really split on him and that surprises me but it genuinely is and that that worries me, it worries me nearly as much as his, you know, some of his stuff in press conferences listen, I'll be perfectly honest Danny's Dan, yeah, Dan giving me a shot of crafts and bells every day but Uh, Listen, (laughs) I'm, you know, I'm I'm founder member and and secretary (laughs) and 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 Frank, yeah, absolutely, (laughs) the Frank Lampard fan club, and and I think it would be absolutely shocking mistake and 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 disgraceful if they got rid of him in what I see uh, as his first real sticky spell. Let's have it right. Last season. First
1: bad run, isn't
2: it? Yeah, absolutely. And listen, you know, I get all that with Danny about scraping in the Champions League. It's not a bad achievement, bearing in mind he started the season with people tipping him for mid-table because of the transfer ban on the back of Eden Hazard, their best player, being sold to Real Madrid. I thought what he did last season didn't get enough (laughs) praise, let alone any sort of form of criticism. I think that's laughable, frankly. And now this season, you know, managers turn it around very, very quickly as Arteta's done at Arsenal. Solskjaer was odds on for the sack in November. It's top of the table now. You But no one has, has bettered four wins in a row. You get four wins in a row and I guarantee you that Chelsea will be back in the top four. That's how it works in this crazy season. So I just think that, listen, Lampard is expected to make top four. I think that basically that'll be the barometer. While that's I think, still within sight and distance, they'll stick with him. Obviously, Luton in the FA Cup, I don't think he can probably afford an upset. Otherwise, then it really gets toxic. But I just, you know, I think that you've got to be realistic about where we are. Lampard does worry me a bit about some of his stuff in press conferences, admitting that he's worried I'm not sure that's a great message. You know, that single quote there would, would stand out to an owner, I think. I didn't like his pre-match stuff before Leicester, for example, you know, sort of saying we haven't got this sort or of maybe the experience or the pedigree. Well, Timo Werner cost 50 million quid. He's a regular German international who played in the Champions League for Red Bull. Uh, sorry, RB Leipzig. And so, you know, Havertz looks a good player. He hasn't got the best out of him yet, but it was a huge signing. So please don't get me wrong. I'm not. I'm not saying that this season has been faultless from his point of view, but credit in the bank. Well, Lampard arrived and at his press conference. He said, I've got no credit in the bank. That'll last five minutes. And sure enough, it's gone already. Uh, But I just feel that he's done enough in his career. And I feel that Chelsea would be crazy to make this decision now or anytime soon, give him a bit of time. Because to replace him with someone like Thomas Tuchel, who frankly... Touts himself around for any sort of job, but always seems to come up short at the big clubs. It would just be madness, madness. Mark, you watch
1: a lot of Chelsea. What, what do you? What's your take on it? Is Lampard being let down by certain players? Like Crossy mentioned, obviously Havertz and Verno, who wasn't even in the starting lineup in the midweek defeat to Leicester, and they were well beaten at Leicester. You've got to say, um, is, it, is he being let down, or is he making? Poor decisions. Is it a combination of both? Some people think the job might 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 be too big for him. It may have come too
0: soon for him in his managerial career. These are the same players that won him all those games in a row and built up his stock as a manager earlier in the season, of course. I mean, players have dips in form, same as you know Chelsea, same as everywhere else. Um, I think the problem with Lampard and the sentiment that we perhaps have a lot in the Premier League um, is that on the continent, Two, you, you're given a two-year stint to succeed. You have to hit the floor running. Real Madrid don't say, oh, he used to play for us, so we'll give him a chance. They say, you know, if you're not in, you know, basically your two years, you've got to to, to achieve something generally in these big clubs. Uh, and to be honest, that's often a year if if it doesn't look like it's going well. And that's the kind of mentality that Abramovich has um, and has had over the years. Um, What about Zidane? Sorry? What about Zidane? Zidane wasn't given a good. I mean, Zidane achieved, didn't he? <laughs> from the start, from the get go, he wasn't given I'd a be great the first, deal of,
2: the first to agree with you about Zidane and what Zidane has achieved, but there seems to be this ongoing, constant debate about Zidane's future and whether Zidane is any good on the back of how many did, didn't do, do himself he, any favours last season. night, did he? No, well, no well, many?
0: I mean, it's just you know, I'm oh, sorry, well, yeah, I think, the wrong you know. day to be. Yeah, I mean, but generally, he's he's. You know, he's won major trophies, which Frank, you know, for all the finishing qualifying for the Champions League is seen as the, the thing that Dan has to win it. You know, that, and, and he has done. Um, that's the difference. I mean, why, why would Abramovich restrict himself to the best manager who used to play for Chelsea? You know, he's looking broader than this. He doesn't have that sentiment. And Frank Lampard has to show that he's worth that role. Um, forget all those times he laced his boots for the club. He's got to show that he's a good enough manager in his second job to be the Chelsea manager, which is a club that wants to win the Premier League and wants to win the um, Champions League again uh, because of this renewed interest that Brownwich seems to have. That's that's the problem he's got. He could have sailed through when a did doesn't seem that interesting on a, on a bubble of... Um, sort of goodwill and everything else but now it's his push time Abramovich has majorly invested again and he wants a manager there who can achieve results quickly you don't pay lots of money to get eventual success you do it to make a change now and if Lampard doesn't live up to those expectations and seems Mm. to be falling short of those expectations there's going to be no sympathy for him just because he was a club legend which you know I think is a shame but that's not the way Abramovich sees it Mm. and to be fair he's got a lot more
3: say on the matter than I do I, I think that, you know, uh, I, I agree to a certain extent, but we're, we're only talking about two seasons. You know, we're talking about the actual header now. Should he go now? Should he be sacked now? Should he be sacked if they don't win, you know, next couple of games in the Premier League? I think that's that's the issue. My issue would be a halfway house situation where, where he is told that, you know, he's got till the end of the season. As Jeremy said, you know, he did reach the cup final last year. He did get them into the Champions League, albeit um, squeakily um they are in the champions league knockout stages having had a very good group stage in in a very tif, uh, difficult section they are in the champions league knockout stages albeit you know probably second favorites against uh, let's go madrid um they are in the FA of fourth round um so you know th- there is chance of winning things you know and no they're not going to win the premier league i don't think they will win the premier league but again as john says you know it's three or four results on the spin could certainly alter the mood. I'm just arguing for the end of the season. I'm not arguing that Frank, because of sentiment, should be some sort of indulge long-term in the way that other managers haven't been at Chelsea. I also think, you know, I, th- I think it's such a tough job. You know, I was looking at the football last night and I was thinking, you know, you know, some people say that, you know, the, the Frank Lampard doesn't know. One of the issues is he doesn't know what his best team is. Um, and I think that can be true in, in, in days of rotation of a lot of managers, although you would say probably Klopp knows exactly what his best team is. And the fact that he hasn't been able to field it this season is, is why they're not doing as well as they were last season. But I, I digress. But, but, but when we were talking about, well, Frank doesn't know what his best team is and plays in and out, you know, I'm looking at football around the league and I'm, I'm, I'm wondering whether actually they know what, he knows what his best squad is. Because to me, I look at Loftus Cheek last night and I look at earlier performances this season of, of Ross Barkley of Villa. You know, and, and then I look at what the midfielders they've bought and have come into the Chelsea squad have done, and I'm just thinking, you know, where is the? I, I sometimes think they haven't got too many options, mm. but in a way, you know, Frank looked far more comfortable when this this you know this this, this transfer band that has been the effect of which has been exaggerated beyond all proportion. This transfer band. Don't forget, it was only one window, um, and he already had a very very good squad to work with. So. Um, so uh, he almost he almost looked more comfortable before the 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 summer transfer spree that, that that went on, and that seems to be now the issues that he's got to deal with is bedding in these players who 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 you know don't seem to be having again, as Matt said, had a good spell early on, but now seem to be struggling to adapt. So it's not an easy job, is it by any means? You know, with the amount of getting those players into that. Team or getting the right blend—it's not an easy job at all.
2: No, I totally agree with you, and I do think that that midfield—you know—if yeah. you look at the sort of the midfield base, if you like, I—I I, I would make a mm. sort of a strong case for, you know, I mean, Kante, we've seen on on reputation is is one of the best anchor man anchor men really around. Now, for me, I don't think last season he was consistent enough, largely I think due mm-hmm. to injury. This season again, troubled by injuries, but is he as enthusiastic about Chelsea as he was, and is he as influential? That that worries that worries me a little bit because it, you know, you've got if you've got an informed Kante, you've got your midfield, you know, oh. built for you basically. Everything else is is bits around the edges basically because the Kante's is that that good, and I I actually think that at times. Chelsea have looked strongest when they've gone with a very conservative three of Akante, Jorginho, you know, Kovacic. And Kovacic, I think, is is a good player, gets through a lot of work and does a lot for the team, but just doesn't contribute, you know, goals and assists-wise. And that has to be statistically a massive concern. And so he's just not even got that. I don't think he's found the right shape for the team, the right formation, the right system to get to mm. get players in because there's no doubt about it mount is a really good player but can you have can you have mount who's a you know naturally attacking instinctive sort of player um in the in the deeper midfield three i'm not sure that you can and then basically you know xai uh, you know again limited by injuries but is a smashing player so then where does havertz go because really yeah. you know you spend that much money on havertz who's a german international and 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 the Listen, I'm a bit of a sucker, basically, for a Mercurial midfielder. I make no bones about it. But a couple of things that he did at Leicester, and he contributed very little to the overall picture of the game. Please don't get me wrong. But a couple of the turns, I mean, it's just unbelievable, you know, breathtaking. You know, he's just so smooth. He's like a Rolls Royce. And yet, where, what is he? Yeah. We're terrible in English football, aren't we, for trying to pigeonhole. I'm doing it now, you know, for trying to pigeonhole a player. To try and find, you know, say, oh, he's a number eight. Oh, he's a 10. Oh, he must, you know, he's a bit different. So he'll be a number 10 play between the lines. Well, uh, uh, European f- football is, mu- you know, it's much more fluid than I think sometimes we're prepared to accept. And, I, 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 and that is a challenge for Chelsea. You cannot spend as much money on a proven player. And he is proven. Let's have it right on Havertz and not make that work. You know, that has to work. And it is a bit, you know, it is a bit stupid and stuff. And suddenly they're looking at a German or German-speaking manager, but they are. And and I think that's wrong because that, that throws you back to the days of, you know, too much player power, too much from the dressing room. It really does. Guys,
1: thanks for that. That's 20 minutes on Chelsea. <laughs> <laughs> Before we move on to the Manchester clubs, who both won um, last night, can I just ask all three of you, Leicester, obviously were deserved winners against... Um, Chelsea but no one no one i mean no one seems to generally think they can win the title this season i was just looking at the stats this morning and they are 1 point worse off than the ranieri's title winning team of 2016 at this stage of the season now i know this season is much more competitive in terms of who's up, who's up there at the top and winning games but do, does any does any of you three think they, they can genuinely win the title
3: yeah, well, I mean, I, I think they can win the title. Yes, I mean, do I think they will win the title? No. Um, would I suspect that they'll they'll dip in the second half of the season? No, they've got a strong enough squad. You know, you only have to look at you know players still to come back in Pereira, probably so You know, they've got they've got a little bit of um, death to that squad. That maybe actually pro- they probably they may have more death to that squad than they did uh, when they won the title. When essentially you know they relied on a on on a a nucleus of players that probably was, you know, around about the 13, 14 mark and beyond that, not much more. But they've got they've got a deeper squad now. So, no reason
2: why they can't win the title. I don't think they will, but I certainly wouldn't back against them, you know, being top four. I think they'll finish top four. I yeah. do. I think they might just fall short in the title race. I think they're in the race. I think they should be considered contenders. I think the yes. job that Brendan Rodgers has done has, has been incredible. I really, really do. I think the recruitment has been astonishingly good. Got some
1: great young yeah. players there, haven't
2: they? Oh, Fafana. I yeah, mean, what so a player. player. Yeah. You know, he looks so assured for his age. He can step out. He's decisive in his tackling, his decision-making. I just think he's a fantastic player. And he's so, so good. I mean, it was interesting, really, because everyone says, oh, they'll fall down, including myself, if Vardy's not playing. Well, <laughs> the other night, you know, Vardy had a quiet game yeah I, I two Paris the games are running and yeah and, and yet actually you know, everyone else clicked, and they were brilliant. I mean, Madison. Madison's post-match interview was was a joy. By the way, I love that arrogance. that, Saw that on Twitter, yeah. you know, as, as a journalist, I loved it, the way Jeff Shreve let it flow. Yeah, you know, I think that we <laughs> underestimated. He still didn't say though, did he? That the quid in the title? No, no. But no. He, 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 he was good because he wasn't. You know, and
3: and that obviously it's gone viral. That interview, you know, it shows how un, how unusual that 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 sort of honesty, cheerfulness, mm. playfulness, cockiness. You know, call it what you want. Is but it did finish a bit on cockiness. And I, I, you know what I wondered? I wondered what Gareth Southgate would make of that interview.
2: Yeah, it's a good shout that because he's, he's, ex- he's allowed, he's wanted to, <laughs> you know, get players to express themselves. Yeah, and yeah, yet, yeah. let's be honest here. I think that Gareth Southgate has on occasion perhaps thought to himself, the little, there's a little, a little bit gang there. There's a yeah. little gang there of Grealish, Chillwell, and yeah, you, you know Madison. Can I have WhatsApp them all in, in them form, the squad together? You know, yeah, sort there's of a thing, little little maybe... WhatsApp group form in there. Yeah, exactly. He's taken Madison out the squad because maybe he thinks some of the younger players are yeah. a bit too cocky. And yeah, yet, yeah, do you know yeah. what? You know, I just love that. And and maybe you need that because if you're a number ten, if you're a playmaker, yeah. to, to be that extravagant, to be that arrogant, to be that confident, and that's shone through. And I personally loved it. I remember, I remember when. There was an interview at St. George's Park before England duty, if you remember, uh, must be two, three years ago now, when Madison first got in. And a few of us, I mean, I was in on it, and a few of us came away thinking, (laughs) it's a bit too much there, you're a bit too much. You've just Mm -hmm. been out on loan at Aberdeen, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. uh, You know, you're so... Dismissive of that of that time in a in a way yeah. and sort of thing really and you thought oh well, you know needs maybe a bit more humility but you know what I just think with time love it yeah no, 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 love
3: it I, I think I mean we digress a little but I, I think it's fascinating you know I mean and there's there's a the lad that he, he scores and he goes the only thing that's there is a the TV camera and he turns his back and points to his name on his back and I just you know I think I don't I mean I mean I like it as well I mean we all we all like mm. someone with that sort of confidence and that sort of cockiness you know but it's it, it, it's a it's a balancing act, isn't it, between between that and then, you know, it coming before the fall. But anyway, anyway, Jes, that's right. May I digress? Matt, now?
1: Matt, you were, you were at Fulham last night. You were at Fulham last night. I was you? indeed. Yeah, um, another great win for United. Come from, came from behind, two-one. A wonder goal from Pogba. What what did you make of Pogba's performance? Because he seems to me like a player who's actually enjoying his time at United uh, right now. He's he Scored the winning goal at Burnley last week, he could have had the winner at Anfield on Sunday. He won the game last night. Do you think United are finally seeing the player that they paid 90 million for?
0: Well, Oli Gunasoska says he's happy, Pogba's football says that he's happy. His agent doesn't seem quite so convinced. Um, yeah, I think the one thing that struck me last night at Craven Cottage was you know, we all know time constraints on evening matches in terms of writing match reports. Um, at, at no point. Did, we, did I think that United weren't going to win that game? You know, five minutes in, they go behind. But although they weren't playing that well, they seemed about it. Uh, and that largely stems from Pogba's mood. I always find with United, if he fancies the game, if he wants to get so everything he tries might not come off. But if he's of the attitude, you know, I'm interested today, then United will come through. Uh, and that's how big a player he is, which is why you've got to try and find a way of dealing with all the baggage that comes with him um, and try and manage that rather than just sell him and give up. Uh, uh, yeah, his goal was absolutely superb. The angle we were I was at directly behind it, you saw how much he just bent it around the, the goalkeeper. Um, uh, it's an incredible talent that he's got just to do that from nowhere. Um but but it was his well it was his the way he covered the pitch the way he you know ran and did the hard work as well you know he's he's a guy who when he enjoys his football um and it and he kind of sparked off Fernandez when he first arrived I thought Pogba then played some of his best football for United sort of unmentioned largely because of Fernand the way Fernandez hit the floor running but in those periods he is somebody and and this is why he was in the uh, PFA Player of the Year team when everyone thought. He wasn't that good. When you play against him, you know how good he is, I think. Uh, and when he's on it, then United do look formidable. And even when they start off the back foot, like they did last night, they you still fancy them. In a way bear in mind that other teams have struggled against Fulham. You know, Liverpool couldn't do it. Manchester City couldn't do it. Leicester couldn't do it, but United, you just always fancied, we're going to do it. We're going to come through. And if that's a mark of champions, you know, it's not a bad measure beating Fulham at the moment. It, you know, it's a sort of side that can win the title. John,
1: you, I know you're a fan of Pogba's. Um he, do you think if he can produce performances like that alongside Fernandes in midfield, would, would that be enough to get United's first title since 2013?
2: I do, actually. I, I really do. I find it, you know, quite laughable that still, you know, certain pundits are having this debate, are, are United, you know, title contenders. Well, it's not even a debate. They're top of the table. Of course they're contenders. The issue for me is that basically, can they win it? It's as simple as that. I mean, it's just—it's rather embarrassing, I find sometimes. I and mean, there's sort of—I think the radio debate last night. You know, I mean, come on, it's just ridiculous. Just look, do do oh. basic research, have a look at the table. They're top. You know, it's just nonsense, absolute nonsense, really. I think Pogba. It, it you know, I love a player who's just a bit different and has got a star-studded quality, and. I just thought when he arrived, oh my god! I can't wait to see him. I can't wait for him to play in the Premier League every week. I love his style. I love the way you know he struts across the pitch. He's so strong. He's so powerful. He's so dominant. Uh, you know, he's an intelligent player. He makes things happen. You know, and let's be honest, five years on, we still still feel like saying, "Well, go on then, show us what you're about," because that that eighty nine million pound. You know, price tag brings with it an expectation uh, as well as, you know, when you win the World Cup, you're a world class player. And have we seen it on a regular basis enough? No. I thought it was really interesting. And, you know, I think Gary Neville's a great pundit. I really do. But sort of the turn of the year, I think they were made to sort of kind of give their, uh, you know, predictions for, for the forthcoming Year, if you like, and I just thought it stuck out like a sore thumb that basically he, he predicted that Pogba would be the player of the of, of the second half of the season, the player of the year, if you like. Um, and I just thought, you know, he's got to have an inroad, is not he, to his former teammate Solskjaer, who's clearly probably told him, do you know what? You know, Pogba's looking great he's looking so hungry he's looking so sharp he's determined to prove something here and that's why he said it and I just think that that has been that has shown in his performances you know he scored the winner last week the decisive goal at Burnley scores it again last night at Fulham to send them top you know second week running you know people say oh we should have scored you know Anfield and maybe he should have done but you know he had he had a good game and uh, that ball was straight down Allison's throat, you know. So it, it almost felt like a wasted opportunity. But the the issue for me is that, you, you know, Fulham was so well organised, so well drilled, and they are an improving side. They're, they're no longer the complete rollover. And they didn't give United any sort of space. And I just thought there was a point in that, in that goal where I thought, Pogba's got the ball here. There's nothing on. There's nothing to do. There's no space to move. So Pogba's thought to himself, I'm going to go and win that game for Manchester United. And that's what he did. And I just think that, you know, they've they've relied so long for, you know, on on Bruno Fernandes and Fernandes, you know, showed his worth in the first half, but now Pogba's stepping up as well. And I just think with that sort of quality, I just think United are banging this title race and you can't possibly say that they can't win it. You cannot, you, you've almost, the debate should be is why can't United win it rather than, why can they?
0: Do you think, Andy, sorry, Andy, so wrong, yeah. Jeremy, Do you think that United could win the title if Pogba's not in that mood? No. I mean, that's why the question marks there. Surely, is whether it's all down to Pogba, isn't it? There's no guarantee mm. he's going to be in that mood in you know tomorrow, let alone May.
2: I think no, it's, I'm if, total agreement. If, with you.
0: if Pogba's firing for the next, like, like you say, he's the player of the second half of the season. Then I think it's going to be difficult for anyone to topple Manchester United. But if uh, he's not, I don't think they stand a chance because there's not enough around about the rest of them I don't think that that they can't match Liverpool Manchester City for the other players if Pogba isn't doing doing a large proportion of the work
1: Andy Ma- Man United are top of the league but they're not even most informed team in Manchester yeah. uh, I was at City last night they reeled off another win um a sixth straight Premier League win um 16 unbeaten now, and in those 16 games in all competitions, they've only conceded three goals. Mm. And that's a remarkable defensive record. Is that the sort of record that pretty much wins you a title?
3: Well, yeah. I mean, I mean obviously, we saw that when it happened with um, you know when Chelsea conceded what was it, around 15, 16 goals uh, in in that Marino season. And uh, just quickly on Pogba, by the way, some of United's best performances this season have been without Pogba. Um, when they played when they played without him. The goal last night for what it's worth, it was a great goal. But, you know, I actually thought the Fulham should have closed him down. I thought they saw it going on his left foot and actually gave him, almost invited him to shoot from there. I can't remember the Fulham 23 should have closed him down in that situation and he swung with his wrong foot and scored. I'm not saying it, it wasn't a great goal, but I do think the Fulham with the architects of their own downfall a little bit on that goal. If you watch it back again closely, they did actually stand off him, knowing it was on his left foot, I'm, I'm perhaps thinking well, we're better off defending deep here because he's not going to hit it with his left foot. He did and he scored. In terms of Pogba, by the yes, I think he's been good um, recently. But you know, bear in mind that as I say, some of United's performances have been good without him. Some have been good with him. Um, will it be an, an addition to their team? Him at his best, can he turn him into actual, you know, realistic winners? Not just title challenges, realistic winners. Yes, of, of course they can. The one thing I would say just quickly, again, before I go into City about United, is that um, you were saying, John, you know, the debate should be why more, why can't they win it rather than why can they win it? And I think basically the issue they're on the second half of the season it, it, it is their is performances and results against immediate rivals need to be better. I mean, it's clear that, that you know, and they played okay at Liverpool in the second half. It's clear that, you know, against the pool, against City, against Spurs, um, against Chelsea, you know, um, even against Arsenal, if we talk the big six. You know, they haven't been good enough this season and that needs to change. But but back to the City defending. I mean, I mean it, it is ironic, isn't it? It's, it's ironic that, that, you know, the only way City could defend for and brilliantly defended for two or three seasons was by attacking. And that's the way they defended. You, you know, it was basically, it didn't matter how many midfielders he played because they had the ball all the time and they scored loads of goals, 100 goals in a season. It didn't really matter how they defended, did it? But now it does matter. It does matter because the goals at the top end aren't coming as freely as as they were. And he's come across, He stumbled across maybe this partnership in Stones and Diaz that is just, you know, that just looks, you only have to look at the interaction between the two, you know, um, they, they they appear to be allowed to hug in these COVID days and, and, and they do so regularly when they keep a clean sheet, which is almost every game now. And they're clearly developing understanding. It's an old, old chestnut that the titles are, are are won on the foundation or can be won on the foundation of centre-back pairings. And we immediately think further down to Vidic and Terry and Carvalho. I'm um, going way back, um, obviously, to other combinations in the past. Um, again, that's not the only way it can be won, and City have shown that. But it's certainly the way they're, they're, they're challenging this time. And, you know, what, what, what with that, it's not just Diaz and um, Stones, but the combination with the goalkeeper. And although the fullbacks have been changing a little bit, you tend to think that going forward, the back four will be probably Cancello will maybe become the right back, uh, ahead maybe of Walker. Um, and Zinchenko the left back and then they'll have a back five that are, that are, are, are pretty solid but don't forget also we've all, all been there this season why is he playing obviously he hasn't recently but why is he playing Rodri and Gundogan in there it just seems a little bit negative and that took a toll on City's potency you know which was incredible for the last three seasons but what it has done and you know in the mentality is that it's made them a very difficult side to score against and, and, and the stats are becoming I mean, they're becoming remarkable defensive stats, aren't they? You mentioned Rodri; He turned out to be
1: City's secret weapon last night, John. The game was overshadowed (laughs) by a a controversial, to say the least, incident that when City went ahead uh, in the 79th minute, through a great goal as it turned out, but the build-up to it was rather odd and left um, Villa boss Dean Smith in an absolute rage, which saw him get sent off by John Moss, the referee. Talk us through it and talk us through what 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 can you make sense of a scenario like that because the goal stood because it's because it was legal by the letter of the law but the general opinion seems to be that that law is absolutely farcical and needs changing
2: yeah look it is it, it, it is a it, it is a weird one and good luck with changing it by the way because obviously what we're talking about here is of you know the a player who's clearly in an offside position, but then when the ball comes over, because then Mings has you know has, has effectively yeah. played it, you know played the ball um, as as the opposing player, he's then sort of activated and played the, the you know the, the opposition player onside. If you it like. comes
1: a new phase of play. Yeah, yes.
2: and so look, I can understand why people then get you know, aerated about it, tear the hair out, get angry, get annoyed and frustrated. But let me, let me spin it another way for you is that basically if, for example, Bernardo Silva is, you know, he's coming back from an, you know, you know, an attack, basically they've just cleared a corner. He's your last man back. You know, jaunts lazily back towards the center circle, if you like, and sort of kind of Villa clear it. Everyone's out. Bernardo Silva feeling a bit hard done by trudges back. Ball springs to to, to Mings. Uh, Mings basically doesn't look and suddenly plays it back to Emilio Martinez in his in, in, in his goal. Then, you know, suddenly hasn't seen Bernardo Silva there and plays it straight to him. Then no one would be quibbling about that goal. And everyone would be saying, oh my God, what has Mings done there? We wouldn't, you know, Dean Smith would only be surely complaining about his defensive frailty from Mings. And it's the same. And I just think you basically have to relay it. We were talking before we came on air, we saying, oh, you know, Andy was saying, oh, we've got to adapt the, the, the law. And, and maybe we have, you know, to say somehow that, you you know, to sort of kind of, you know, to differentiate between a, a challenge, which is obviously what Mings was going to, you know, going through last night as compared to a, yeah. you know, a mistake of a pass back, But good luck with that because yeah. that is exactly where we get into all sorts of pain and yeah. all sorts of issues with, you know, with, 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 you know, splitting it and yeah. sort of kind of when we get into Absolutely. suddenly that, that gray area of, of trying to, you know, of, of referees trying to call it is it, a world yeah. of pain.
3: A, a world of pain. Just, just quickly. I, you're exactly right, John, because, because what, the reason why it was so so unusual last night is because it was so, so obvious. It was so obvious how far Rodri was offside. Yards and yards and yards. And he walks back and does that. But then, what do you do then? You are now, if you introduce that rule that you can't do that, then every player who's offside and beyond the defender cannot then re-enter play in in a different phase. So Mm -hmm. what if Rodri had been half a yard behind Mings and then tackled him from an offside position? Would we Mm -hmm. all have been sat here this morning saying that's the most pathetic decision? It looked daft. Because he was a mile offside. He was an absolute mile offside, and he walks back and takes the ball off him. That's why I looked after. Once the you stay really now, if back. you can't re-enter play, you, mm. if you can't join in on the phase when it's from an offside position, you are now having VAR checking. Okay, what if, what if you're a toe offside? Again, mm. what if you are a toe offside? What if you are an armpit offside? It's still the same. Armpit, toe, a country
2: mile as Rodri was. What difference will it make? I just don't know how you're gonna I don't know how you're gonna it. I really don't I don't know if I don't know if there is a solution. I I would say not. I tell you what is interesting for me is that basically I think if you even in layman's terms, I mean listen, I I, I am someone who prides myself on trying to know the laws and trying to, to, to get to understand it to go to to briefings and so on. I was surprised that that basically that you know a lot of the Villa contingent, for example, didn't didn't appreciate the complexities of the law.
1: Doesn't that and, you tell know, Rio that? Ferdinand, yeah, Rio right.
2: Ferdinand goes on a rant about kind of, you know, players not understanding it and, you know, on BT. I mean, I've only seen this on social media as at Craven Cottage and then sort of obviously seen the goal, obviously, in retrospect. And I've only seen, though, what Rio Ferdinand said on BT, on social media, if I'm honest. But... You know, Rio Ferdinand is basically saying, "Well, none of the none of the players know the you know are clear on the rules." Do you realise how daft that statement is? Because then basically you're saying that uh, you know incredibly well paid professionals, you know, at the peak of their game, at the peak of their powers, enter a field of play without knowing the laws of the game. I just find the, that where, it, it. It's below where,
1: where does that? What does that tell you about where we're at with, with the rules of the game? VAR, you know. Well, the I think, it's rules easy, I and think G- that's
2: easy to say. That I do, but I just think know well, No know, know, every single detail. Just,
1: Dean Smith genuinely said, I, "I'm flabbergasted. I, can't, I don't know why that goal was allowed to stand," and he's a manager.
2: But he's not. You know, he's probably not in his angry state. I think in the if he was a you know if he was you know uh, he could see it from a from a cold position of of being calm i think he would appreciate surely that that pass back issue for example as i've raised I understand it's slightly different you know Robbie's coming back on side it, but i'm just giving you a sort of an example but it's just you know it is it is weird but i think in the cold light of day he would know that but it's just—I found it's you know—I find it staggering in a way that basically, you know, players allegedly are entering the rule, you know field of play without knowing the laws. Amazing, guys. We could probably talk
1: for hours on end about this, but um, I just want a quick—I want to move on to Liverpool. But before we do that, I just want to touch on Arsenal. It's been a monumental week. Um, obviously, Donald Trump's left the White House, but that's not the major departure of the week. Obviously, Meza Ozil has finally escaped from Arsenal, Matt. It, it looks like he's joining fenenerbahce after all um is it is it good riddance to bad rubbish or will he be a loss to english football
0: uh, it's a shame that he didn't have whatever it was it took to get force his way with that talent into the arsenal team um if he with all his talent he can't force his way into a um an arsenal team that occasionally fields mohamed Neni, then you've got to ask yourself what well, what's got fundamentally wrong Uh, perhaps with with his attitude towards the game, um, rather than that of Arsenal. I mean, Alteta made it clear that that unless Urza was going to fit in and do the work that he needed him to do, he wasn't going to carry him. Uh, And from that moment, obviously, horns were locked uh, and it was going one way. Uh, And the fact that he's gone early and not just sort of been allowed to go on his own terms at the end of his contract, um, and the fact that he has been forced out is a sign of the power that Arteta has at the club and a message I think to the other players with so many other players, uh, seemingly older players without, with with far too long contracts that it doesn't mean that they're just going to be able to swing the lead for the rest of it Um, or if it does, they'll be out of the door somehow. Um, It's not a clever position Arsenal got themselves into with him. Uh, It's not a very good solution. Uh, but it's the best they can, you know, Arteta could manage. Uh, and I, I think the, the the blessing for him now is that he doesn't have to deal with questions about him. Um and he can allow the other young players that he does have faith in to try and I mean Smith Rose was superb the other night. Um yeah, he's no Urza. let's let's not get carried away. But but with his energy and with with Saka also helping him, you know, with the fluidity of the team, you know. Özil uh, wasn't missed. Let's put it that way, and uh, and I think in a different way they'll counteract his amazing abilities, uh, and Özil will go and have a lovely time in Istanbul.
1: Andy, I had to chuckle mm. to myself the other day when I saw Arteta asked about Özil o- leaving, and he described him as a very special player. Mm. I had to think to myself, well, he's not special, mate. Surely deserves a squad number. But he's <laughs> totally <laughs> totally ostracised in the last twelve months. I found it a really, really bizarre and sad situation. It's, I just,
0: yeah.
1: what, what's your final take well,
3: on it? It's still, it's funny to say, it's still the one thing now it's done, you know, and everyone can move on. The one thing will still be, you know, still I can ask someone and I still don't know exactly what went on. We still don't know exactly what was was the one thing that actually caused the Terminal breakdown of that relationship. What was it? You, you know, I mean, I mean, what what exactly was it? What did he do, or what didn't he do, um, to cause such a? You know, I mean, it's very unusual for someone to be ostracised like that in such an emphatic fashion. That it ends up with him taking the money and going off to Istanbul. So I'd love to know actually what actually happened um, in terms of how could he say he's a special player and then whatever. Well, listen. Jose Mourinho thought he was a very, very, very special player. Probably still does. He thought he was a very special player when he had him at Real Madrid. And when asked, you know, well, he wouldn't sign him again in the Premier League. You know, he, he, he says well, he's a very, very special player, but wouldn't, but wouldn't sign him for any of his teams um, that he's managed in the Premier League. And there's a reason for that because he doesn't think he suits the Premier League. And maybe that's what Arteta's saying. You can be a very, very special player, but basically, if, if your manager thinks that you are not robust enough mentally or physically for the demands of the Premier League then you can be as special as you want you're not much used to him and I think essentially that's what happened with Arteta it's a real shame you mentioned those young players I saw Arsenal were outstanding when I saw them last live at West Brom and Jarbian again that same combination Smith Smithrow for Saka one of the best goals I've seen this season albeit against West Brom and yes I agree with Matt when he says yes move on without him this is an exciting time for these young players a little bit of me thought you know what how what an experience it would be for those type of players to be playing with an, a measure to Ozil at his prime. Imagine Ozil and his vision, his class. What would help them? And that's why I'm amazed. At, well, I'm intrigued at how catastrophic it must have been to basically deny the team an opportunity to blend Ozil with very exciting players like Smith Rowe and Saka.
1: Crossy, just quickly, Arsenal mm. to the giddy heights of tenth in the table. <laughs> what? Um, do you think they've overcome that really, really tough spell under Arteta and do, do you think they'll push on now and maybe what what's a realistic ambition?
2: Oh, uh, Listen, I, I still think they might be able to push for Europe and I think that basically, you know, if they could maybe push for Europe then that would be a good season. I, listen, I, you know, there's all sorts of things with Erzo, isn't there? I still don't think there's one issue in particular oh. that sort of kind of forced him out. I actually respect what he did in many ways about the sort of kind of the pay cut issue. Didn't want to take that, you know, because it's, you know, it's his money and does he fit into the style, that sort of thing. But I have to say that one thing that really stands out more than anything else is that basically when you've got an experienced German international World Cup winner you know and someone also a big character like a Socrates and then you know that those guys not even registered in the squad you know I I don't care how superhuman you are and what good professionals you are if you're in the dressing room not even registered to play that makes that dressing room really difficult to manage and it's very very difficult and and you know I just feel that now arteta has you know been able to prune the squad a bit maybe they can do a sort of a loan signing and then all of a sudden that dressing room becomes a better place It's bound to and you know and even before the summer and by the summer i think he's then able to you know stamp his own authority bring in his own players i think the the longer term outlook is so much brighter is so much better and i think that maybe they've got an outside chance of a european place but longer term I just think that basically Arteta has now got a nice clutch of players. You know, let's see how Louise and, and, and William react to, to this latest challenge because I tell you what Saka and Smith Rowe that that those combos beautiful. What an exciting time, you know, for two academy produced yeah. youngsters and the, the others have got a rise to the occasion. And so I, I you know, I think brighter days ahead and that should be a lesson I think in how quickly things can turn but also a lesson in just how important Unity and togetherness is in a dressing room.
1: Matt, Liverpool face a huge game at home to Burnley tonight. They're um, in the middle of a mini crisis, shall we say? Is that fair? They've got four games without a win. They've not scored more They've not scored a goal for three games, which is unheard of in recent times for Liverpool. We Used to score goals for fun. Um, what, 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 what worries you most about Liverpool? I mean. The four, they've dropped down to fourth in the table. I know that can change very
0: rapidly. as We've spoken about this before, but
1: what, what are they missing? What do you, do you sense that they've just
0: lost that sparkle? Uh, yeah, to be honest, that's exactly what what's probably become you know gone missing, uh, and, and that's where I think Klopp in particular has to to find that sparkle again. State, Liverpool have done so well on the back of his exuberant energy. Um, he's pushed that team and he's he's lifted that team and he's got them to the incredible heights that, that they've achieved over the last couple of seasons. Um, but you can only hear that message so often without, you know, it's amazing every time we hear it, we get glimpses and we think he's wonderful. But these guys are listening to the same voice every day. Uh, and then that's got to, to, where after a time. That's why managers tend to survive two or three seasons. Uh, and it's an exceptional managers who go on beyond that. Now, Klopp's obviously been there a lot longer than that, but but having really performed, you've only got to not lose a one or 2%. Uh, and suddenly you are, instead of you know scoring every week, you're, you're struggling and you're fourth. That's what all the other teams around them are finding. So I, I think somehow Klopp's got to find a way of reinvigorating them. Uh, in a slightly different way, finding fresh energy. Uh, and the problem is, it's been effectively the same team for those two years, um, uh, and uh, and he, he just needs to change something up or do something uh, to to unlock a new burst of energy. And, and then the players are still there; they'll come out of their rut. Um, you know, they're tired anyway because of the season. They've got excuses they can make. They just need to be told to you know, lifted out of it, say, come on, we can go again. Uh, and I, th- I think Klopp has the ability to, to do that as a manager, uh, which is, you know, how he's got so far into the game.
1: Donnie, last week he played Henderson uh, at centre-back uh, and he did admirable, admirably well, I have to say. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But obviously when you're playing, at, playing him at centre-back, you t- you're losing his abilities in midfield and his, his influence. And... Um, if Klopp doesn't sign someone in his a center back in this window, do you think that's basically kissing goodbye to the title? Well,
3: I don't think it's kissing goodbye to the title. I think it, it will make it a whole lot more difficult um, than it originally was. You know, I don't think you can underestimate. I mean, we, we talk about them maybe losing the sparkle, but you know they, they've they, they've lost you know three centre well, about two centre halves, you know, and you know Mattis been injured now and again. Gomez is obviously injured. Van Dijk's um, obviously out. Um, and and you can't underestimate what an impact that's had. You know they've also had other injuries. Don't forget. You know Jot has been injured. Thiago has been injured. You know so they have suffered. You know when we talk about United, for example, you know United have been relatively unscathed in terms of serious injuries. Liverpool have suffered with injuries. There's no getting away from that, and that and that has affected them. Um, and bear in mind, you know the style in, in which they play. So yes, I would be. You know, listen. I think I think everyone can see that they need to buy a centre back. How easy that's going to be between now and the end of the window? There's not much time left, and they're showing no signs of doing so. I'm not sure. I, I personally don't think he will in the end. Now I, I, I can't see it. Um, if they don't, will it would it make it impossible? No. Will it make it more difficult? Absolutely, it'll make it more difficult. You know, but but again, I would not rule I would not rule them out at all. Who would? Um, I, yes, they're going through a little bit of a lull. But then, if you've been on the form that that, that say attacking triumvirate has been on for the best part of three seasons for Mino, Salah, and Mane, then you are allowed a dip for a couple of weeks. You are allowed a blip in form. You are allowed a game when everything got a couple of games when you know things don't go quite right for you, and that's just you know that's just what's happening at the moment. As Cl- as Klopp said yesterday, you know this isn't a catastrophe. You know, this really isn't a catastrophe. Arguably, for long periods of time, they were the better team against Manchester United. In the games that they, that they drew against um, West Brom and, and Fulham, you know, arguably they were the better side, clearly, in both of those games. And maybe, you know, had the chances to win and things went a little bit against them. So, you know, they didn't allow this, you know, it can't go for much longer. They obviously need to win tonight, you would have thought. Um, but, I, it, it's, it's very, very early for people to start panicking about Liverpool. Crossy, the haven't yeah, I mean, been, been at home for, three, for, yeah. you know, for nearly just, four years now. The fact I mean, we're a, a, is that we are discussing
1: it as a mini crisis just, yeah. just shows you how the, yeah. how high they've set the standards, in it, over the last couple of years.
3: Oh, absolutely. So Crossy, Crossy,
1: can I just ask you as well? Mm-hmm. There were some um, reports here in the week in the papers about Mo Salah, the issue with his contract at Liverpool... Some suggestion that he want, you know, the deal's got to be right for him. Obviously, he's holding him to yeah. ransom a bit. He's 28, he's won everything there is to win, pretty much, at Liverpool. If you were a Liverpool, would you would you give in and pay him what he wants? Because it's gonna probably gonna be his last big deal at his age, or would you say, you know, you know what, we're not, we're not, we're not doing that. And they've they've done this in the past, you know, they've sold big name players, especially strikers. That they've not been afraid to let them go. What 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 would your stance be if you were Liverpool's owners?
2: I, I listen. I think Liverpool run their run their club so well, and I think they run it to a to a discipline, and they they refuse to budge. Um, you know they've got this issue now with Wijnaldum, haven't they? That basically is really Absolutely. becoming a little bit toxic in that. You know, once you enter that final year, and indeed enter that final six months it's so hard to, to, to do a deal from that point because basically, you know, they can demand more and more because they know that they'll get that level as a free agent in the summer. And so I guess Liverpool, the last thing they want to do is kind of get into a situation where they are, you know, into a, uh, uh, an issue with, with Salah that they're basically in, into a fire of time when he's running his contract down. And, and the issue is that basically, you know, and I... I <laughs> I, I think they've, Salah's got to be realistic about this, basically, because no player can be irreplaceable. And I think that that, that front three has been so good for, for Liverpool and they're a dynamic, they work together. Do you, you think know, you this is the last season we see those three together? Possibly, because I think that Jota's given a snapshot of basically coming into the team and showing that you can arguably move on. Firmino is sometimes an underloved, underappreciated part of that. I mean, he's such an unselfish, hardworking player. He's the glue in it that keeps those things oh, together. That's amazing. And, and then Mane. Mane is just beautiful as a player. It must be a dream. You know, he works so hard. He produces so much. And I just think, you know what? If, if, if I'm Liverpool, I'm going, if Salah, you know, basically holds us to ransom, we'll go, okay, you know, time to move on. You know, we'll look elsewhere. Because I do think they're in this also this wonderful position whereby, by the way, I I actually think that Liverpool will still be still be champions at the end of the season. I think they'll come through this, and uh, uh, you know it'll be it'll be hard hard running, but I think they'll get it done. But I just feel that as if you know Liverpool can turn around and say, "Go on then, if you go to Barcelona or, or Real Madrid, what what's your career fade and die?" Because that's what happened. Liverpool have given him this, you know, it's not a one-way street here. It's a two-way thing. You know, Salah came back and everyone was saying in the, in England in the Premier League, so what? You know, they've signed a bit of a Chelsea reject here. You know, basically, we're not sure about him. Liverpool have made him a world-class player. And it's that platform, it's that opportunity to work with Klopp, it's that, it's that team that has made him a world-class player. And if Salah can't see that, then, you know, I'd be ever so surprised. I'm sure he can to a degree. And I'm sure that basically they'll come to some sort of arrangement. It's a bit of posturing because he'll never have it so good. He will never have it so good as he has at Liverpool at the moment. And he shouldn't, he should respect that. And I think that basically Liverpool can turn around and say, well, actually, if you're not going to sign, we'll we'll, we'll look to move on. And I think that basic Jota perhaps provides an insight that actually that can be done because what an inspirational signing he has been, by the way, because no one would have thought that he'd have that such an impact. But that shows you the strength of the team at Liverpool. Just remember, you- just sorry, going back on that,
0: if Mo Salah's too big for the club, uh, remember that Liverpool sold Ian Rush And that was arguably the making of their greatest ever side. Um, You know, no player is too big. If they can sell Ian Rush, they can sell Mo Salah, no problem.
1: Matt, just quickly, because I want to talk about FA Cup. Steve Bruce, he's he's gone nine games without a win now. They're right in the relegation,
0: Meyer, again, Newcastle. Is Is he close to the sack? What's your gut feeling about that? He doesn't seem to be because Mike Ashley seems to support him and he's, for all the noise that's around the place at the moment, his voice is the only one that matters. Um, if Steve Bruce were to lose his job, another manager will come in. He wouldn't be able to play expansive football with the resources that they've got without losing every week. Um, and fairly soon the Newcastle fans would get uh, disenchanted again. The big problem at Newcastle and the, and the big... Uh, split between what the fans expectations are and what the club can actually achieve is Mike Ashley. And, and all the time he's in control, you know, you could just put a different manager to have a pop at and some will be slightly more popular than others. But, but effectively if you, they want to stay in the premier league, it's going to have to be fairly functional football with the, um, with the resources they've got, or they could try and do something a bit bigger uh, and risk being relegated back to the championship. Um, you know, nine win, nine games without a win isn't particularly clever. But but you know, Steve Bruce is a good manager, and I can't really see another manager coming in uh, and achieving much different. You know, and, and they will have bad spells, and they will have like Steve Bruce did, uh, some good spells. Uh, you know, it's it's what it is basically, and the whole problem for thirteen years now has been Mike Ashley.
1: Andy, do you think that um, when you look at the big picture at Newcastle? The ownership, the lack of investment, Mike Ashley has done as Dunny's just said. Do you think that Mike Ashley thinks, if I sack Steve Bruce, what standard of manager am I? Am I limited in the stand, level of manager I can attract to St James' part, despite it being a huge club in terms of its following and history and all that?
3: It depends how much he pays, doesn't it? I mean, you, you know, listen, there will be no sources of applicants for the Newcastle United's job if Steve Bruce... Um, gets the sack from Mike Ashley. Make no mistake about that. There's probably no shots of applicants for it right now, while Steve Bruce is in a job. You, you know, d- d- despite what um, I heard Mark Hughes on the radio on Saturday saying, you know, it's not, it, there's a code of honor amongst managers that you don't go after yeah, right. a job that's already occupied. And I'm, I'm honestly, I, n- I nearly went off the M1 onto the M6. I swear that was ironing <laughs> but, but when I heard that. i <laughs> sorry. Sorry. What? Anyway, so yes, I'm sure there's a long list of people wanting the, the Newcastle United job now. You know, huge fan base. You don't, you know, l- let's face it, they are now so. Disillusion that fan base. If you go in there and you provide a semblance of entertaining football, a semblance of a good run of results, then 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 you, you are deified before you know it. You know, I mean, there's a reason why Benitez was is held in so high regard because he was a big name who took on the challenge. He embraced um, what the fans wanted. I'm not saying he played the sort of football that that, that that is incredibly attractive. But but you know he embraced the challenge and he took Newcastle up, um, wait, well, down first and back up into the Premier League, and you know is, is revered up there. So yes, I do think there'll be plenty of people who will take that job. But I'm with Matt, I'm with Matt and I wouldn't I, matter I'm, me, and I just don't see that Mike Ashley is going to make any has got any appetite to make any sort of change. And again, you know, with the fans not in the stadium, you know, you can you can mute the type of mutiny, if, if you will you find on social media very very easily it's just called a button on your machine you, you know you can't do that when fans inside the stadium and howling their disapproval I'm not sure that affects actually that much anyway but certainly you know a, a few outrages of of our of Gateshead on on social media is not going to influence his decision and as long as he thinks that Newcastle can tread fairly sterile water in the Premier League with Steve Bruce at, at the helm he'll carry on
1: Crossy, it's
3: FA Cup weekend.
1: Fourth hey, hey. round, got some great-looking ties again. Um, we've got Chorley, Chorley hosting Wolves, obviously mm. Chorley, the only non-league team left in the competition. They play Wolves tomorrow uh, evening. Um, got Blackpool going to Brighton, Cheltenham hosting Man City, and then obviously there's United v Liverpool take two on um, Sunday. Do you think we're going to see some more shocks? Because the third round was pretty
2: pretty great, wasn't it? it was brilliant and and listen we shouldn't forget also Wickham Spurs Monday night yeah. you know yeah. I, I tell do what i love about these games is I, I i kind of i love the smaller club hosting the big boys basically that's what the fa cup is to me that that's why you know chorley wolves that's why you know wickham spurs you know cheltenham man city i think is super you know listen everyone loves you know liverpool uh, Man United showdowns, of course they do. But for, for me, the, the, the cup is about the, the, the magical moments. You know, I was lucky to be at, you know, Crawley Leeds. And I just think you can't beat it. It's just a brilliant...
1: Stop going call. on about Crawley Leeds, will you? Yeah,
2: Hans. sorry, I know. I, I must say, you know, I love, I love that, you know. You know, Crawley this week, you know, I'm desperately sad to be calling off their game yeah. on Saturday... Um, you know, at Bournemouth, are now re- rearranging it for Tuesday. Now, the fear is, obviously, that if they don't play it Tuesday, then they're basically, where on earth are they going to put it? And also, do you get into a situation where you have to forfeit the game? Now, early in the season, we've had a few Premier League teams, you know, asking for postponements. You've got little old Crawley from League Two, without 10 players and one member of staff who've tested positive this week. But still, say we've got we've got sixteen players to go and play at Bournemouth because we want to play and respect the magic of the cup, and I just think that that says everything about you know kind of what it means to the smaller teams. And yeah, yeah, there's a big chunk of kind of you know will we lose our TV money if we don't fulfil the victory? Of course there is, but that again is what the magic of the cup means to to the smaller clubs. And it's their lifeblood. It's their outgoing. And, you know, listen, there's a great little story behind that, by the way, in that basically, you know, the, the, the Crawley players, I know they had taken stick over the, sort of the dressing room celebrations, you know, sort of live on the BBC. Oh, we shouldn't be celebrating like that. We'll, we'll celebration kill joys. But the fact of the matter is they'd done their celebration. They'd had it. You know, the BBC live cameras were there. And so the, the BBC cameras take say, two. well, actually, can we have a second take of that? We didn't get it first time round. Yeah. Can, you, can you basically, you know, sort of, you know, yeah. do it all over again for, for the cameras so we can show it on the BBC you know and the only you know all the everyone in that dressing room have being tested by the club but apart from the BBC crew and so you know they're taking stick oh is that the reason why there's an outbreak and you get BBC sort of reporters ranting and raving about sort of kind of the, the celebrations on social media on the BBC six o'clock news well actually the BBC have just asked her team to go and celebrate yeah. again for the benefit of the cameras hang on a minute you it's know double. double standards I mean it's just it's just ridiculous what a story that is and I just think you know the cup we feared for the cup didn't we about the third round weekend it went off brilliantly absolutely brilliantly you know it's a sudden it's a one-off game I love the FA Cup have I mentioned that before and I think the you know the fourth round I think has got potential to be just as exciting I really do.
1: Matt and Andy what's floating your boat for this weekend what in terms of what would you like to see happen what would be your dream scenario in terms of an upset?
3: Oh yeah surely um tomorrow night you know i mean i, I, I cover the, the Chorley Darby game when there wasn't an upset chorley won um and I, 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 you know it was it, it just the, the people they were so welcoming the few people that were allowed in it's a brilliant it's a brilliant little setup you, you know and it's just old school isn't it like you know and, and that would be great there i mean from what i understand i think i think chorley the town is pretty much underwater today isn't it or, or, or the, the, i think certainly the floods have, have affected um Surely. Uh, so I hope that game goes, hope that there's no problem there. Obviously, I mean, last time, if you remember, the groundsman <coughs> um, actually slept at the ground. So, so they had, they had a, a tent over the pitch and the groundsman basically slept in it. And the generator broke down at four in the morning. And he had to get some guy out. I think it was an NG from Derby of all places. <laughs> and, that, and that's just that's just what it's all about today. And so I hope, surely against Wolves, that will be a, a, a bigger test from obviously because you remember Derby I had to field the kids. Um, I'm at Cheltenham versus Manchester City on um, on Saturday. You know, and again, it'll just be... It, it, what's great about that type of game, as it was, Jeremy, when me and you were at Marine, is is, is how these teams now, the likes of uh, Man City, the likes of Spurs, the likes of Marina, the likes of Guardiola, they'll put out a good team. And, and, and what and what is really nice to see, what was nice to see in Marine, while obviously it would have been a great story had they... Pulled off some sort of upset, it remained a, a great day because what is great is those players then getting to play against this type of player. You know, now obviously Cheltenham aren't as far down, nowhere near as far down the the pyramid as Marine, but it's still great for these players. You know, who are I ran into the Cheltenham player today, um, Andy Blair and uh, Andy Blair, his dad was he? he kept say, saying about about his dad and um, who. Um, basically, you know, these are guys who who spend 300, 400 games playing at that level. And then on this this one day, you know, they they, they, they might be playing against Kevin De Bruyne. You know, they might be playing against Sergio Aguero, say, was he he fit? They're playing against, you know, 50, 60 million pound world stars. And it's just on their own turf. And that's just great. Having said that also, I do think that, while I'm not a big fan of, you know, Man United being shown on TV every single cup game they're in just for the viewing figures, I do think Man United-Liverpool on the BBC will be really tasty, you know, will be really good. I mean, the viewing figures will be enormous. I think it'll be, you know, I think it's a, it's a game neither side can take particularly lightly. Um, And I think that'll be a cracking way to round off the weekend. But yeah, obviously, surely tomorrow night, Cheltenham, Saturday. Can't wait for those two.
1: Matt, Matt, Dunny touched on it, the the Man U-Liverpool game. Last week's affair was a pretty drab, drab game. I mean, it looked like two teams who were more concerned with not losing, winning the game. Do you think the shackles will come off on Sunday? Do you think there'll be a bit more freedom to to the play and we'll see a more exciting game? Do
0: you know what? Even if there's not, the beauty of the cup is we'll go through two hours of it and then the end of it, uh, you know the late the evening audience will tune in and watch a thrilling penalty shootout, and that's what yeah. people will be talking about. That's yeah. the beauty of the cup. There has to be a winner with this new format. I'd be surprised if the FA Cup goes apart from financially. Uh, for the small clubs. There's no real reason, I think, anymore. Yeah to go back to replays mm-hmm. um, in the FA Cup. Uh, and, yeah, the thought of, uh, you know, even, you know, word gets around with social media these days, even if it's a ball fest like, like last week's match was at times, you know, people word will get around. And if it's going to go to a shootout, people will tune yeah. in for those 10 minutes to see who wins and who's got the nerve, et cetera, et cetera. And it will become, because it's terrestrial television, it will become a great big television event uh, again, which is kind of what the FA Cup needs to uh, you know, to make it more relevant at a time when when it is struggling for for importance, uh, uh, and when you know that is a shame because you know ho- hopefully it'll be better than that, and everyone will be tuned in all day. But 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 you know, but wh- whatever happens, there's going to be a result, and and I think football lacks that at times.
1: Just before we finish, quickly, I just want to ask all three: what what's the craziest goal you've ever seen either live or? as a fan or a journalist because there was a, a <laughs> the um, Newport County goalkeeper Tom King scored with a clearing kick this week in a League Two game against Cheltenham. When his kick just basically yeah. ping- pinged up the field, caught the wind, deceived the other keeper, went in the back of the net. Obviously, his first goal of his career. Um, what is the maddest goal you've ever seen? Could, can I
0: ask a favour here, Jess? Dunning? Can I go before Andy? Because mm-hmm. he's probably seen the craziest goal ever, and then went out on the lash with a score after. I've got his anecdotal stories every time, and I, like, might as well bother. To be honest, I'm not even going to come up with a, with the greatest goal, uh, the craziest goal I saw. It's the craziest goal I didn't see. Or needed. you're going to talk about the Scarborough
1: afternoon at Scarborough?
0: Not this City time.
1: Oh, okay, mm-hmm. sorry.
0: Um, um, though this is the. Uh, the, when the lights went out at the um in the Carling Cup or whatever it was called that particular year semi-final Wigan against Arsenal uh we're all sat at the uh DW Stadium and the lights go out and wonder what's happening uh, and the ball's in the midfield and then the lights come on again and Jimmy Bullard in the dark has dribbled all the way up the pitch <laughs> and he's about to put the goal in the back ball in the back of the Arsenal net um but uh That was the only one. I haven't seen any of the weird ones, the goalkeeper kicks, but but I imagine Crossy probably has. (laughs)
2: <laughs> yeah, uh, listen, I, 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 I have, and I was—I know it's a bit unimaginative, but I still thought it was an absolutely amazing moment. Uh, the Paul Robinson one, I think it was, uh, you know, what, uh, 12 years ago now, when basically at White Hart Lane, just because, you know, th- th- I was going to go for one that I saw in the flesh, yeah. and Paul Robinson from a free kick, I mean, basically just whacked it up from the edge of his box, basically. And again, it rather catches the wind and then gets a bounce. And goes, you know, from one end of the pitch to the other and then bounces just in front of the Watford goalkeeper, Ben Foster, of all people, you know, a yeah. goalkeeping, England goalkeeping rival, make no mistake about it, at the time. And then, you know, bounces and sails over over Foster and in, into the net and, the, you know, the scenes of sheer jubilation were just amazing, you know, between, you know, two England goalkeeping rivals, basically, and just the, 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 the remarkable nature of that. And I think, you know, Robo speaks to us afterwards and sort of kind of, it's a great, great story, you know, absolutely brilliant, brilliant goal. And that was just the craziest goal in, in keeping with that, that madcap, you know, clearance from the, from the other keeper.
3: And last
1: but not least,
3: don't no, not least, and I mean, variety, but the one that, talk about seeing them live, this actually came, this was the result of a goalkeeper kicking it out. Now, I was actually playing in the game, and it was it was it was Kenny Dalgalice who scored the goal just to set the scene. <laughs> you know, so I'm actually in the game. So we're playing against Kenny's team. Steve Miller, our, our old colleague, was in yeah. goal, and Steve Miller drop kicks the ball out as far as I've ever seen him drop kick it out. It was a magnificent drop kick clearance from Steve Miller inside um, the opposition half. No less than Kenny Doug hits it on the volley inside his own half back over Steve Miller's head in the goal <laughs> to make it. I think it was probably 8 0 then, and um, they finished 13 0. Just a bit of background this was a, a game that we organised um, on the Friday before Blackburn won the title with a draw at Anfield on the Sunday when United were down at West Ham, weren't they? Or something, and Kenny came up with this this this, this wheeze that we would have that he would have a game, his backroom staff against the against the local press lads, which included me. I think it included Dave Maddock from the Mirror, Steve Miller, who was in goal, Steve Bates from the People. And Kenny thought it'd be great fun if they had, after our last press conference on the Friday, I the game, I'll cut it short. We'll have a quick game. We'll we'll have a proper game. And I remember that we organised a kit and we played in a Man United kit. And it was strictly backroom staff only against strictly press. No ringers, Kenny says, no ringers at all. We got onto the pitch. He's got his backroom staff and there's great Alan Irvin, um, Terry Danicott, um, Ray Harford, um, I think Aita Harford played. Anyway, but Kenny said, no ringers. And anyway, in goal, there's, there's a 19-year-old lad, a young lad, strapping lad, but young clearly. I said to Kenny, I thought he said, no ringers. He says, oh, he says I couldn't get the goalkeeping coach. He says, he's injured. He says, so it's a kid out the um, kid out the, the reserves, he says. he's you know We'll give him a game. He says, he's never going to make it. Anyway, first minute of the game, I've... Knocked the ball through to Steve Bates, who's clear on goal. The keeper comes out, bang, takes Batesy out, takes the ball out. Chance goes. Anyway, they go on and Kenny scores that remarkable goal, one of the most bizarre goals I've seen. That's the point of the story. Anyway, it's one of three or four he scores. They win 13-0. I'm walking off the pitch at the end and I said to Kenny, he said, well, my play done here. I said, well, might have been different. And Batesy, you know, scored there when it was nil-nil, I said early on. Kenny, the way he does, just takes a step forward, looks at his eye. He said, there would have been 13 1, and then just walks off. <laughs> <laughs> One of the most surreal goals, actually, the most bizarre goal I've actually scored seen while working professionally is Dean Saunders' goal against Port Vale when he throws the ball against the back of the keeper. Oh, yeah. Can, yeah, I quickly, more, can I quickly
2: more, just interject one if we're going to tell our own, our own, nah, our own matchy yeah, story? That's the most
3: bizarre one I've seen in my own matchy
2: Well, I know, I know. If we're going to go down that road, I've got to tell you my Robert Pirès one. I mean, it's absolutely <laughs> ridiculous. Over years, we had this sort of very proud tradition of playing England press teams. And basically, you know, I have to say, I was sort of kind of... when Back in the day, it used to be sort of the rampaging right back when the sort of old age caught, caught up with me, basically. And I was... In goal. in goal <laughs> it had me moments in goal as I might have mentioned before and yeah. then basically we, we then played in, it, when we are I think it was in 2012 in, in, in the Euros basically when I think he was still on the books at Aston Villa um, but anyway we, we, English press free the French press I think in, in somewhere or other and um, uh, unbelievably the French press I guess they could legitimately say because he's working as a TV pundit got Robert Perez to play for for the French press, and as you can, oh, far be it for me to say, but one of the, one of my sort of kind of you know sort of uh, people, players that I should I looked up to over the years. Anyway, Robert, but you know there I am in goal for, for the England press team. Robert Perez clean through on goal, and then basically I'm thinking he's still as I say on the books of Aston Villa, and then basically he's one on one with me up against me, and I somehow somehow managed to thwart him and basically make this block. (laughs) <laughs> the ball and dward, dawdles behind me basically I'm going then to sort of get up to tr- tr- anxiously kind of clear the danger having thwarted one of the Arsenal all-time great <laughs> when another reporter who should, name, uh, should should remain nameless at this point, the point Jason Burke, uh, suddenly c- goes behind me to, to clear the danger that whacks the ball to try and clear it as I'm getting up you know what's coming me yeah, yeah square in the face and then goes <laughs> flat bang into the back of the net basically so my one of my greatest goalkeeping moments is deprived <laughs> from me <laughs> anyway on that note sounds like what I'm looking for
1: Great stories guys so uh, thanks so much for joining me this week thanks to John thanks to Matt and thanks to Andy and thanks to those of you at home for watching and listening to the show enjoy the football this weekend and uh, please join us all again next week for another edition of the Football Digest thank you